Thanks so much for being here tonight. My name is Kathy, and we are continuing in our series on the names or titles of Jesus. Tonight, we are talking about Jesus as Lord, which is, in my opinion, the absolute best one. So I am incredibly glad you are here tonight. As I was preparing for tonight, I was reminded about um, a few things that have happened to me relative to kind of something quirky about me, and that is that Cars and I are not friends. Um, Twice in my life, cars have broken down on me on the interstate, pull off, someone had to come get you. This is not including all the number of flat tires I've gotten. Um, The last two cars that I owned, um, both of them died long before they were supposed to. Um, Also, I don't care about cars at all. At all. If you would just have a car in my driveway with a key every morning, I would not care what I drive. So about a month ago, when my car became not cost-effective to fix at its half-life, I had to go car shopping, which when you don't care about anything at cars at all, going car shopping and spending time and money on something you don't care about is not fun. So I was reminded of um, something my dad had told me. Um, I actually, in dealing with salespeople for cars or anything else, um, and he has told me in the past this, and it came to mind, he said, Kathy, when you're negotiating for a car or a big purchase, remember, it is your money, and you get to decide when and how you spend your money. And sometimes people you're negotiating with um, like to think they can tell you how to spend your money and when they want you to spend your money. So as I was negotiating, I actually had the best car salesman I've ever had, but it just wasn't the best car for me, and I totally wish I could have bought that car, but I didn't get to. And as I was negotiating with a car salesperson, um, there were very clear boundaries, you can say, in my mind. It was my money, and who I am impacted how I was going to spend my money, and it was his car. He had authority over that car, and he got who he was impacted how he was going to decide what to do with his car, and we both had an opportunity for how to respond to each other. I could respond to him and get angry and yell and punch him and get arrested and it not go well for me, right? Or you can negotiate in such a way that maybe it will go well for you, right? I have a choice as to how I was going to respond to his authority over his car. Now, I'm going to go back to that in just a second um, because we are talking about Jesus as Lord tonight. And actually, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word for Lord, kurios, is mentioned about 700 times in the New Testament. Um, These are the 700 verses that have been around with me recently as I've prepared for this. Um, I've gotten to read them all several times. And that word Lord is used in a variety of ways. It can mean sir. It can mean authority or sovereignty over something. And it can also mean something more. Not every time, but many times that word Lord is used in the New Testament, it refers to Jesus. So I want us to start with thinking about Jesus as Lord and think about his authority and sovereignty. And I want us to ask three questions, very similar to those questions or those truths that I shared with you about my car negotiations. One, I think it's important that we know what exactly is it Jesus has authority over. A civil court judge in Fort Worth, Texas, doesn't have authority over a criminal case in Maine, right? So what exactly is it Jesus has authority over? 
And then, like, who is Jesus? Like, what kind of Lord is he? Because that's going to impact what he does with the things he has authority over, right? And then we have an opportunity to respond to that. We can respond to his authority in ways that um, it may not go very well for us, or we can respond in ways that it will likely go better for us. And my guess is that if there's something in your life that Jesus has authority over, which we're going to learn in a minute, that you would like to know what a response is such that it would go well for you, right? So those are the three questions we're going to ask and answer tonight. Over what does Jesus have authority and lordship? What kind of Lord is Jesus? And then how can we respond specifically in a way that will go well for us? To do that, I want to start by recapping some of what you've already talked about around your table about what Jesus has authority over. We saw in Matthew 8, as you saw Jesus calm the winds and the waves, that he has authority over all of nature. We saw in Luke chapter 13, as there was a woman who had been bound by Satan, and you saw Jesus heal her. We see Jesus have authority over all spiritual forces, over the religious ruler who wasn't real pleased with what Jesus did that day. So Jesus has authority over religious rules, over Sabbath. So he has not only authority over all of nature, he has authority of all spiritual forces and things as well. Furthermore, in Luke 18, as we saw Jesus heal the blind man, we see that Jesus has authority even over physical bodies. Um, interacting with Zacchaeus, we see that Jesus had authority over Zacchaeus's job, what and how he acted as a tax collector. He had authority over money. He had authority over what Zacchaeus did and did not do. Jesus also, I love this passage as we read in Acts 10, 34 through 36, where we see Jesus have authority over all, over all nations, over all cultures, not just careers and bodies of certain people in a certain segment in Texas. Jesus has authority over all nature, all spiritual forces, all people, all careers, all money, in all nations and in all cultures. And we see with Paul in Acts 20, Jesus has authority as Lord over each individual person's life and ministry. So from this very vast and broad scale down to the very specific, Jesus has authority over everything. And since that's the case, we need to really figure out who is he, what kind of Lord is he, and how can I respond in a way that it will go well for me? Because his lordship has to do with every single thing about our lives and everything going on in the globe. Now, a little fun fact. Actually, I want to reiterate that. Um, by looking at your verse sheet in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, we're going to see, again, just clearly laid out in some additional verses, um, Jesus Christ, that's about halfway through that verse, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Our very existence is under Jesus' lordship. Also, I love Jesus' name written as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There are authorities. There are human authorities in government, in employment. There are lords. There are authorities. But Jesus is over all of those. He is over everything. 
As we study this tonight, I want you to know that every verse on your verse sheet, every verse on your outline specifically is connected to the word kurios, the Greek word Lord. I could have gone throughout the New Testament, picked out verses of Jesus and how he had authority, and that would not have been wrong. But every verse we read is connected either in that verse or before or after with Jesus as Lord. So everything we talk about tonight is very tightly tied to his lordship and tied to his authority. Um, It's really important for us tonight, not just that we know these things about Jesus, but that we be able to take them personally. I want it to actually matter for you specifically. And so I ask a question that you talked about around your tables. It was question two. And to be honest, I hope you had a great discussion around your table But I didn't ask you that question primarily for you to have a good discussion around your table. Before we got too far into this, I asked it specifically because I wanted to reference it at this point in the lecture. And I ask you the question, when you hear the phrase, Jesus is Lord, what is the first thought or emotion that comes to mind? And here's why I ask you that. Because if we want to know who Jesus is and what kind of Lord he is, we're all walking in with some sort of perspective. And it may be largely right, or it may not be largely right. But we need to make sure that we know where we're coming from so that we are specifically focusing on the things about Jesus as Lord that we might need tweaked. Maybe it was exciting when you read that phrase, Jesus is Lord. Maybe you look forward to it. Maybe you thought, well, I I mean, I hear that a lot, but I don't really know what that means. Maybe it was confusing. Maybe, to be honest, it was scary. Maybe you've had authorities in your life that haven't treated you well. And the idea of having an authority, much less an authority over everything, is scary to you. So I want to encourage you to bring that before the Lord as we talk, and specifically in this next section to look for what it is that you need to be reminded of to have a full picture of Jesus as Lord, And I'm going to tell you mine, um, what my gut response was. And to be honest, it's a little bit embarrassing. And I had not shared it truly with anyone out loud until I taught this same lesson last night at the West Campus. Um, And I've already told you, I love the name Jesus is Lord. I think it's the best one this summer. However, true confessions, right when I found out I was teaching on Jesus is Lord, I want you to know this is what I thought. I thought, ugh, Jesus is Lord over everything. He sometimes asks me to do difficult things, and whatever I'm teaching on, God seems to teach me about that. So I bet this summer I'm going to have to do a whole lot of things that are hard and Jesus has told me to do because I have to stand up in front of a bunch of women and talk about Jesus as Lord. That's kind of embarrassing, right? Now, I noted that reaction. Of course, I turned to the Lord and repented of that, But I thought it was interesting because I thought, okay, something that I know in my head has not necessarily made it down as deep into my heart as I want it to. If that is my emotional first reaction to Jesus as Lord. So I specifically focused on some things in my own life as I was studying this because I wanted to make sure I had a full right picture of who Jesus is as Lord in my head and in my heart. I'm going to show you some of the specific things I focused on because I want you to be able to focus on the things that might be really personal or helpful for you. So let's move into this next section, pull out your Bibles, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. 
We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11, and we specifically are going to be asking the question, what kind of Lord is Jesus? What kind of Lord is Jesus? I'm actually going to start reading in verse 9, and then I'm going to go back up to verse 5 in a minute. We see in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee bowing, every tongue confessing over everything. Jesus has all strength. He has all majesty. He has all exaltation. He is exalted above everything. Maybe when you thought about Jesus as Lord or when you think about it, maybe you didn't even say this out loud at your table, but you thought, you know, I've had a lot of authorities in my life and they kind of never really did anything for me. They were kind of lazy. They didn't do anything. Or maybe you had people in positions of authority, but they didn't have the real strength or power to do anything to help you. That is not who the Lord Jesus is. The Lord has all strength, all power, all exaltation, and he uses it. If that is something that you specifically need to be reminded of, put a star by it and pull out your verse sheet. Because for every one of these, I've given you another couple verses that if that's a place you need to think about this week, you have a place to go and begin to meditate on and think about Jesus' lordship. 1 Timothy 6, 14 through 15, talk about, look at those underlined words. Jesus is sovereign. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he gives victory. You may not have had many authorities or lords in your life that have worked for victory on your behalf or had the power to do it, but the Lord Jesus did and he does. He has all strength, all power, all exaltation, but not just that. Go back to your Bible and let's look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man, men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at that. Look at that self-sacrifice. Look at that obedience. Look at that kindness. Look at that service. Look at that humility. That is who the Lord Jesus is. You may not have had people in your life that have been that way. You may not have had many bosses or authorities in your life that have been that way. And so walking before Jesus as Lord of everything might be scary because you've never experienced the richness and the fullness of someone who is that loving and that humble and that kind. But that is who the Lord Jesus is. Look specifically with me at your verse sheet, and we're going to look at some more words that if that's where you need to go and be reminded of this week, you can go there. Second Thessalonians talks about Jesus being loving. He gives us eternal comfort, good hope, grace, Acts 20, 35, he gives. Galatians 6, 14, we just have to reiterate there's a cross. This Lord who has all power 
willingly chooses a cross. He is kind. He is loving. He is humble. And what happens as a result of that? What happens on our behalf, on those who are his children, when you have a powerful, loving God like that? Look at what happens. He gives eternal life and all forms of goodness. And this is where my brain needed to run. My heart needed to run to be reminded of in that moment where I thought, ugh, it may be difficult. But what are Jesus's purposes, even in things that are hard in my life? What is he doing for me to give me victory and to help me in that? What are the good things that are coming out of that that my heart needed to be reminded of? Just a few of them are here listed on your verse sheet. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he has washed me. He has sanctified me. He has justified me. In Romans 5, 11, I see that he's brought reconciliation for me. Romans 6, 23, he's given me eternal life. This is the kind of Lord that Jesus is. Now, I want to hit pause again because I've told you it's really important to me that we understand and take these things personally. So actually, after I'd written the first half of this outline, I pulled out the outline just for myself, and I said, okay, Lord, where is it that I needed to, need to be reminded of your lordship? What needs to impact how I'm living or what's a promise I need to be reminded of or how does it need to affect the way I pray? I mean, I did. I sat with myself and I said, Spirit, show me where I need to go to be reminded. And here's for me which one it was. On this specific day, the one was Jesus is Lord of human life and ministry. And I'll tell you why. And that's because I'm a very driven individual. I love to work and achieve things. And to be honest, I never get everything done that I think I should do or want to do. And sometimes it can get really discouraging for me because I think I just want there to be more done. I want to be able to accomplish more. I want to not fail. I want to not sin. I want to push for this. And sometimes I can become frustrated or discouraged about maybe my life or something in my life or my ministry. And in that moment, I was able to step back and see, Kathy, who was ultimately the Lord of that? Who is the Lord of your life? Who is the Lord of accomplishing every good purpose that he intends to accomplish? Yes, you need to be faithful with what he's asked you to do, but you do not need to be discouraged. You don't need to be frustrated. You need to trust the Lord Jesus, that he is Lord over everything, and he will accomplish his purpose. And it caused me to take a deep breath and to lean into Jesus and the power and the purposes that he is accomplishing. And it was so restful and freeing for me to be reminded of Jesus as Lord. We um, have noticed, as we've been talking about all these things, you may have been noticing it's vast. Describing Jesus in these ways is massive. And really what we're doing is describing the fullness of God. In fact, if you look in your verse sheet in Romans 10, verse 9, you're going to see something really important. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That phrase, Jesus is Lord, was a cry of the New Testament church sometimes after Jesus' resurrection when they realized anew or afresh or maybe some for the first time that Jesus himself is Lord. Jesus himself is God. Now, Jesus was God before then, 
but this cry represented what they saw and they understood. And actually, the Hebrew in the Hebrew Old Testament, which was written, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the personal name for God, when that name in the Old Testament was translated into Greek for people who speak and read Greek to be able to know the Bible, do you know what Greek word was used often for God's personal name? Lord. Kurios, or Lord. Jesus is Lord is pointing to the divinity of Jesus and how full and rich he is because he is God. The second part of this verse is also really important, and I think it's especially important as we head into this next section and start to think about how we respond to Jesus as Lord because we are going to talk about different responses, different actions we can take. And it's really important that we understand that as we talk about these responses, I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying that what you're doing is going to save you or make you right with God. So listen to the end of Romans 10 verse 9. It also says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I am saved not because of anything I do at all. I am a sinner. Jesus took my sin upon himself He experienced the punishment and the wrath of God for my sin. He was resurrected from the dead to conquer sin and death so that he can forgive me and give me life. And that happens just by faith and just by saying, Jesus, you're God. I want you. I'm in. That's it. Everything we talk about here, doing or not doing certain actions that we're getting ready to address doesn't save you. It's faith in Jesus. And yet how we respond to Jesus as Lord matters. Clearly, I think there's some ways that won't go well for us. Um, We just said confessing, believing in Jesus as Lord, it will go well for us. We get eternal life. Clearly, if we don't do that, if we mock Jesus, don't confess him at Lord, it will not go well for us in this life or in eternity. But there are also some other things that we need to look at. And so I'd like for you to pull out your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 6, because we're going to look specifically at some verses that are going to lay out pretty clearly how it will go for us, depending on how we respond to Jesus as Lord. Look at verse 46, and this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words does them. I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and did not shake it because it had been well built. When we do what Jesus says, there's a solid foundation. However, what about those who don't? Read in verse 49. But the one who hears what Jesus has said and does not do it, it's like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Streams come to both, but what happens is very different based on whether they did what Jesus said or not. For example, let's just say um, Jesus has a lot of things to say about money, about whether we love money and whether we love things, or whether we love him and love people, whether we spend more money than we have or not. 
And maybe for a little while we could get away with that, but eventually what happens? You rack up debt, you rack up a love for things, you become obsessed with those, and what happens? It destroys your life, right? However, what if we don't do that? Yes, we have some things, but we don't spend more than we have. We give. We don't love our things more than anything else. We may not have a lot. Life may not be easy, but we have contentment. We have gratitude. We have a love and experience of other things. We have a joy in our life that we don't have when we don't do what Jesus says. Or maybe it's forgiveness. You think, there's just that one person and I can't forgive them. And I'm not saying it's not easy, that it's easier, that it may not take some time. But over time, that unforgiveness becomes a little bit of bitterness. And a little bit of bitterness doesn't stay just a little bit of bitterness. It grows and it grows and it makes you miserable and it makes all the people around you miserable and it destroys your life and other people's lives. However, when we do the hard thing and we forgive, whether that person ever knows it, whether they ask for forgiveness, whether there's any sort of reconciliation or not, we are free. We don't have to carry around that bitterness and we get to walk in freedom. It makes a massive difference in our life when we do what Jesus says and when we don't, even when it's hard. Now, you've noticing we've been working through both some things that will go well for us or not go well for us. I want you to turn to John chapter 6, and I want to focus on the last one that we'll talk about regarding some of the things that would cause concern and lead to destruction. And then we're going to talk also about some other responses that can lead to life. In John chapter 6, verse 66, we read about some of Jesus' disciples, and sometimes when we read about the disciples, he's specifically talking about the 12 disciples, but sometimes he's talking about larger groups of people and disciples, and that's what happens here. In John 6, 66, we read a really sad verse. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. They were around Jesus for a while, and then they left. That did not go well for them. However, as we move into this next section, which we've already kind of been in, and begin talking about how can things go well for us, how can they bring us life, I'm not sure how you feel, but to be honest, there's a little bit of me that thinks I'm a little getting a little anxious because there are days that I fall into one category and there are days that I fall into one of the other categories. <laughs> there's days when I do what Jesus says, or maybe moments, and then there are some days when I don't. And to be honest, this next part of the lesson is really the only reason I could stand up and teach this lesson with any sort of confidence or freedom in my own life. So this is, if you are anything like me, what will bring hope and excitement to you as you look at the times in your life, not if, but when you disobey. What do people that confess Jesus is Lord and want life do when we don't do what Jesus says. Let's read about Peter. Keep going in verse 67 in John. Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Certain people have walked away. Simon Peter answers and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter gets it right. 
he makes a bold statement. He says, other people have walked, but I'm not going to. Jesus, your Lord, I'm in. Let's go. And we read more in the New Testament about Peter's life. Sometimes it goes well for him. He chooses well. Sometimes he doesn't. But we get to Luke chapter 22. It's one of the verses on your outline. We're not going to be able to read all of them, but I had to put all three of them on there because they were so exciting to me. Again, all of them very clearly call and reference Jesus as Lord, so it's very clearly tied to his lordship. Right before Jesus is crucified, three different people come up to Peter and say, weren't you with Jesus? Three different times, Peter says, no, I don't know him. And Jesus hears him say that, and he sees him say that, and Peter face plants, and Jesus sees it. And you know what? Sometimes that's me. I do love Jesus, and I have confessed Jesus as Lord, and I mean it. And you know what? I do not always do what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes, like Peter, I face plant. Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for you to call Jesus Lord and have any hope when you're a sinner? Watch this. Peter, I love this. In John chapter 21, Jesus comes onto the shore. He hasn't really interacted with Peter since this incident. Peter is in the boat. He sees Jesus, and Peter does not even start rowing faster. He just dives out of the boat to get to Jesus. Why? Because he knows what kind of Lord Jesus is. He knows there is grace. He knows there is forgiveness. He knows there is kindness. He knows that he can run to Jesus even when he has majorly blown it. And he gets to Jesus as quickly as we can. That is what we do when we face plant and we want to get back up. And you know what Jesus does? Not only does he forgive him, he doesn't guilt him. He doesn't put him in some kind of spiritual timeout. Do you want to know what he does? Jesus teaches Peter He equips him, and he sends him out, and he says, let's go follow me. He goes right back in. That, friends, is the normal Christian life. You say, and you follow Jesus, and you get some things right, and then you don't. And you get up, and you run back to Jesus as quickly as you can. And you get forgiveness, and you get love, and you get teaching, and you get strength. And you go back out, and you follow more, and then you do it again, and you do it again. And you keep doing it. Because you and I need more and more growth and more and more faith in our life. And the Lord Jesus knows that. You know what he said in Matthew 8 when he calmed the winds and the waves to the disciples' response? Do you know what he says? He doesn't say, you of no faith. He says, oh, you of little faith. In Luke chapter 17, the apostles say, increase our faith. Peter even writes in 2 Peter, grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Grow. This is what we do, not if, but when we do that. We keep going back, and hopefully in time, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, hopefully our heart grows and grows and grows, and we are like the blind man. When everyone else says, don't bother Jesus, we say, oh no, (laughs) I'm going to Jesus, and you rush and you ask for mercy, and Jesus meets you there, and you glorify him. 
You go to him for your everything. And whether the answer looks exactly like you want it or not, he's present and we can praise him. And pull out your verse sheet because I love this verse in Philippians. Um, Paul says in Philippians 3 verses 7 and 8, speaking of Christ Jesus, his Lord, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Very personal, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may green Christ. And then in that next verse, we see him described as someone who's risked his life for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knows Jesus personally, and he's willing to give up everything for him. And do you get this sense as you read it that, and there are plenty of times in my life when I do what Jesus says because I have to and because I should and because it's right, and that is good and normal, and and I do that. But you get this sense that Paul is following Jesus and obeying and responding to him as Lord because he just loves him. Because he just wants him. Because he would just rather have Jesus than anything else. Who wouldn't want to follow the person that is that good, that amazing, that kind, that strong? He knows more than me. He knows better what I should do and what will go well for me and what will give him more of him than I do. Why wouldn't I do that? There are times, yes, when I disobey, there are times when I obey because I know I should and I may not really want to. And then there are those times when that sense of who Jesus is is so beautiful and so precious that you just can't imagine wanting anyone or anything else. Now, when I was starting to put this lesson together, I knew this verse. I know Paul's cry of Christ Jesus, my Lord, and I thought, you know, I bet this is where the lecture will end up ending. It's kind of a high point. It'll summarize. In my mind, this is where I thought we would end. And then, as I'm reading through these 700 verses several times, I'm noticing several things about this word Lord in reference to Jesus. Sometimes it's Lord Jesus. Sometimes it's Jesus is Lord. Sometimes it's Jesus the Lord. Sometimes it's Jesus my Lord, in that personal way that hopefully we all experience and say at times. But it also said our Lord a lot. And I noticed as I read, I thought, I wonder how many times it says my Lord, and I wonder how many times it says it says our Lord. I did not go through all 700 and count. I went to the trusty little internet and went to the Bible app and put my Lord in quotations. And then I put our Lord, in quotations, so I didn't go back to the Greek, I didn't count on myself, and while most reference Jesus, I did check that, not all of them did. Guess what I found? To my complete and total surprise, there are nine mentions of my Lord in the New Testament. Do you want to know how many there are of our Lord? Seventy-four. There are nine mentions of my Lord and there are 74 as our Lord. And it has been the thing that I've thought about more than anything as I've studied this. I do not think I have fully answered the question of why, but I thought there's gotta be something I and we are missing 
if all we ever think about is Jesus is just my Lord, and he is, but if that's just what we think, are we missing something about who he is? And these are just a few of my thoughts. Seriously, email me as you have thoughts. I'm still thinking about it. By no means have I figured it all out. But I thought, you know, because he's not just my Lord, he's our Lord, that means when I mess up, Jess comes and helps pick me up because he's her Lord too. And when she falls, I go help her. You know what? When something great happens and Jess experiences something about Jesus as Lord, she comes and tells me and we share that. And when something happens and I know Jesus is Lord, I share with her and it almost makes it even better, right? And you know what I thought? This one was kind of interesting. You know, we are, are, I mean, this is a big room, lots of people. You don't know everyone's name. I don't know everyone's name, much less you don't know deep things about every person in the room. We're at a big church. Sometimes it can feel um, disconnecting. And this idea of Jesus as Lord makes me feel very different about this room. It makes me feel very different about you, whether I know your name or not. And it makes me feel very different about the person I sit in the pew beside. Because every person that calls Jesus Lord has a deep, intimate connection with the same person I do. And therefore, we have a connection in a very deep, almost unspeakable way because we have our Lord. One more thing. It was probably my favorite. Um, But uh, again, I'm still thinking about it. Um, When you think about, or when I think about, let's say me, when I think about Jesus as my Lord, and I think about the strength and the power and all the things he's done for me, and I think about his kindness and his forgiveness and his grace just for me, and I think about the reconciliation and the justification and the sanctification and his presence just for me, to be honest, it can cause there to be chills and this sense in my heart of how amazing he is. But think for just a minute. If he's not just my Lord, if you're imagining that for yourself, think about the person sitting next to your table and that he's their Lord and multiply that sense of awe by two. Multiply that sense of awe by the people sitting around your table. Multiply that sense of awe by the number of people in this room. Multiply that sense of awe by all people, past, present, and future, who believe in Jesus as Lord. And I literally have chills and tears in my eyes because I cannot even fathom how glorious our Lord is because I can't even fathom how glorious my Lord is. So his exaltation and his goodness and his grace far, far exceeds even what I can remotely imagine. I hope tonight that you have seen a little bit about what Jesus has authority over. It's everything. Um, I hope you've seen what kind of Lord he is and be willing to maybe learn and grow in your understanding and kind of reflect in your own mind and heart if there's something that maybe, um, maybe you're head knows that your heart hasn't quite gotten to yet that would just be helpful for you as you think about Jesus as Lord. And I hope you've had an opportunity to think about how we all have many opportunities a day as to how we respond to him. And number one, you're not going to get it right all the time. 
You're going to like me. You're going to do a Peter, and you're going to get up, and you're going to run back, and you're going to find grace there. And then there are going to be times that you get it right, and you experience his grace, and you praise him, and you love him. That's the normal Christian life. That is Jesus as Lord. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, you know um, every hair on every woman's head in this room, and I don't. I genuinely wish I did know them all, but it is really sweet to me that you are not just my Lord, but that you are their Lord and that you are our Lord. I pray, God, that you would remind each of us the specific ways this week that we need to take personally and live personally as if you are our Lord. Apply it to those specific hurts and hopes and dreams and confusion and needs in our life where we need to be reminded of you as Lord. And I pray, Jesus, that we would run back to you, not if, but when we don't get it right. And I pray that, like Peter said, that we would each grow in the grace and knowledge of you, our Lord Jesus. You are beautiful. You are majestic. You are God. And we are incredibly grateful that we get to know you and we are in awe of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll be back next week for another great name of Jesus. Y'all have a good week.